Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, um, I had a friend of mine told me, he said, you know, I'm having trouble with this. I have four more times, four more opportunities to be here as your pastor, and then, then, uh, and then I won't. And, and somebody said, well, why don't you preach Charles's greatest hits? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, that would be easy because there are none. So, uh, you know, what do you do when you have four Sundays left? And then you kind of you work through it Monday through Thursday, and you rack your brain because there are a million things that you would like to say, but uh, we only have about four hours today, so I can't get all that in in the four hours we have. And so then what you do at 3 o'clock in the morning on, let's see, I think it was Thursday morning, after you've taken some of that medication, you know, to dry up your nasals, nasal passages so you can breathe. Anybody having trouble with that other than me? And... Um, so you take some of that, and I don't know how it affects you, but it, it causes me to be more hyper than I already am, and I can't sleep. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, the Lord sort of clears your nasal passages and your mind. And so here we are today in First Samuel chapter 3. And uh, in taking a look, too, at uh, 10 and a half years, you kind of wonder, what stories have I told and what stories have I not told? And some of you are as old as I am, and you can't remember what stories I told, which ones I haven't told. So if I've told this story before, I apologize. I don't think I have, but it's a story about Doug and Jill. We had breakfast with them uh, Saturday morning, and we got to talking. I don't know if you know a lot about Doug Kimple, but he tells a lot of stories. Isn't that right, Doug? And uh, he's kind of getting older, and so he repeats himself sometimes. And Jill said, honey, you've already told us that story, so he goes to the next. But anyway... One he told Saturday morning when we were having breakfast was a story I had not yet heard about their first date together. And so he was a little bit nervous, and he took her on the first date, and they had, they had been, you know, had a great evening. And after a pleasant evening on Valentine banquet at the church, uh, he drove her back home. And as he pulled up to the house, he stopped the car under an old oak tree. The light of the full moon filtered through the leaves and glimmered in her eye. She had never looked so beautiful to him at that moment before. The moment was prime. Doug turned off the ignition, shifted his seat, and placed his right arm across the back of Jill's seat. She, in the meantime, could sense that something was about to happen, so she snuggled a bit closer toward the door. That's away from Doug. Just want to be clear. Jill, Doug began, I've really enjoyed spending time with you, and I'd like to kiss you. May I kiss you Good night. Jill just stared ahead in total silence. Jill, Doug, still more nervous than he was the first time, I asked if I could kiss you. Jill just stared ahead in total silence. Jill, Doug persisted, I asked if I could kiss you. Jill just stared ahead again in silence. Doug, in exasperation, asked, Jill, are you deaf? She responded, Doug, are you paralyzed? Have you ever had a paralysis before? Because you were uncertain about what to do. You didn't know if the person you were with wanted you to do this or not. And so as a result of that uncertainty and that insecurity, you didn't know how to proceed. And so you somewhat were paralyzed in, in moving from where you are to where you knew or where you wanted to be. You know, there's, there's no more paralysis that happens not only in just personal relationships, but sometimes in our relationship with God as well. Because sometimes we have paralysis when it comes to our relationship with God because we're not quite certain, we're not quite sure what exactly God wants us to do. 
You know, before we join God in what God is doing and become a part of the process of what he wants to do through us, it's important that we know what he is doing and what he wants us to do, or that paralysis does have a play in how we then live out our lives. But many times, we, with uncertainty and insecurity, sometimes just plow ahead. We get ahead of God and we run ahead of God and we're not quite sure this is what God wants us to do. But, you know, we haven't got clarification. We have no clarity. We have no understanding. But, you know, we just have a hard time standing still and we need to do something. So we just steer ahead. We make something happen without really fully understanding exactly if this is what God intends for us to do and what God intends to happen. And so as a result of that, it's important for us to understand that we must listen to God before we do anything. Listen, because God is leading. And in the passage that Jesus shared in John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Those of us who know him, follow him, but you can't follow him unless you listen to him and learn what it is that he wants you to do. And there have been many who have gotten ahead of God and run ahead of God without totally understanding, without clarity, without specification as to what God wants them to do, where he wants them to go, what he wants them to become. And as a result, they have made disastrous choices and decisions and made shipwreck of their lives. And later what they usually do is they come to the pastor and they're complaining about the outcome. And the result is they were in a place, they exercised a choice that was not within the will of God, and they have wound up making terrible mistakes because they first, before they ran, failed to listen, to learn and understand, God, what is it that you are doing and what is it that you want me to do in response to what you're doing? How to listen to God and where, to go, where God is leading is critical, not only in a personal life, but in the life of the church. And it's important that we individually and we as a church learn to understand that, yes, God still speaks today. There have been many who say, well, I've never heard the audible voice of God. Welcome to the club, neither have I. But God still speaks today, and he speaks through many methods and through many different ways. And I don't have time to go into all of that today. But God is still speaking, and we must, as followers of Christ, if we hope to follow Christ, we must listen before we run or before we go or before we act. Because if we don't, mistakes will be made and disaster will be the outcome. So we must listen for God's leading. Today, I want us to go quickly to a passage that I believe is familiar to all of us in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. It's a passage where we have two people that are described in regard to their listening skills when it comes to their relationship with God. One of them is Eli, who has heard God many, many times, led well for a long period of time, but when God spoke to him in a way that he didn't want to hear what God had to say, rebelled and rejected and resisted what God gave him to do, failed to do it, and as a result of that, God stopped speaking to him. There were long periods of silence between him and his relationship with God. Now, this is important because, you see, Eli was the high priest. He was the leader of the people of God and of the church. But because of his resistance and his rebellion and his refusal to carry out what God had instructed or asked or led him or spoke to him that he must do, he did not do what God said, and God stopped speaking. And I'm convinced that if we failed in our understanding as to what God wants us to do and we fail to do it, God will go silent until we obey him. 
The other person in this passage is a young boy named Samuel who is about 12 years old, who is a future prophet. He is a pupil who is a prophet in training and he's under the leadership of the council or the tutelage of, of Eli. And, and as a young boy, 12 years old, God is going to introduce himself to Samuel for the first time. And he is going to find himself in a moment, in a crisis of belief in which, am I going to do what God has asked me to do or am I not? And in that crisis of belief, in that response, he learns that God is faithful to those who follow his word. So how do I listen for God's voice so that I can go where God is leading? I want to quickly look in this passage at seven things. So hold on, buckle up. Let's do this in about five minutes. You ready? Come on. Have you lost your sense of humor, people? I mean, look at this face, okay? All right, let's go. Number one. We've got to relish intimacy. That word relish isn't the relish that you eat, but it's the relish that has a characteristic and understanding of something that we desire, something that we strive for, something that we want, something that we deem uh, important. We relish intimacy with God. And before I start in reading this passage, I want to understand, unless you and I maintain close proximity to God, Unless we maintain close proximity to God, we will not and we cannot hear from him. God does not, I believe, speak to people who are distant from him unless he speaks to them, asking them to repent or to return and to be reconciled to himself. Because unless that reconciliation has happened, unless that, that, that intimacy has been developed, it's hard for us to listen to someone that we're not close to. It's not, there's not a close proximity. And uh, I remember one time talking to someone who was on a pastor search committee, and we're going to introduce the pastor search committee here in just a little bit. And this person on the pastor search committee informed, uh, informed someone that uh, they were talking to that they very rarely ever read their Bible during the day and very rarely ever pray. And they're on the pastor search committee. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to our pastor search committee. But, but we got to talking, and he, was, he had, had gone to this church in beautiful call, and he got to talking about it, this guy's walk with Christ. And his question to me was, how can they know that I'm the man that God wants for this church if they're not walking intimately in fellowship and relationship with God? And my response to him is, they can't. So as a result of that, the choices they will make will be in the flesh, not in the spirit. And so we must, as individuals and as a church, Make sure that we maintain that and that we realize that intimacy with God. Notice what happens in the passage in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel, who was 12 years old, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Eli was under his tutelage. Uh, he was a prophet in training. It was his responsibility to minister, to keep the seven candles that were close to the veil that led into the Holy of Holies lit. And they were lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the year. And they never went out. It was the only light in that area of the temple. And it was all those seven candles were to be lit at all times. And so as a result of that, that's what he was performing. That was the ministry that he was doing unto the Lord. But notice it says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Imagine living day to day, trying to seek and to understand what the will of the Lord is and trying to hear the voice of the Lord, but the Lord is not speaking. And there's a reason for that. And, and the reason for that is because of Israel's sin and because of Eli's sin. God's voice was rare. He didn't speak very often. There were long periods and long moments Long days in which God spoke hardly at all. 
And there were long periods of silence. It was rare for the Lord to speak. And as a result of that, the people didn't understand where God was leading. And if you can imagine living your day-to-day life without a full revelation as to the will, the ways, and the direction of God, you're just sort of up to your own devices and your own discernment and to know what to do and what not to do. And so the people were sort of struggling with with how to live out day-to-day and following the Lord. And so it was rare. There was no revelation. There was no vision. So it says that at the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim and that he could not see, was lying down in his own house. How many of you have gotten old enough to where you're having to wear glasses? How many of you have been wearing glasses all your life? Some of you. Uh, I never wore glasses until a couple years ago. I have, to wear, I have to wear glasses now when I read or when I work on the computer. And I'm up to a font, um, I think, 14 uh, here in the Bible to be able to read. Uh, I'm still somewhat in denial. But uh, Eli was old, and then because of his age, his eyesight was sort of growing dim. But it's not only a reference to his eyesight because of his old age, a physical handicap, there's also, I think, an indication of his spiritual blindness. He had begun to go, grow blind spiritually, primarily because he didn't want to notice or recognize the things of the Lord. So there was a spiritual and a physical inability or ineptability to be able to see where God was at work and to join God in what God was doing. Verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. God had not given up on his people There was still light, and he was still there. But notice, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Where is Samuel? Well, first of all, where's Eli? In the comfort of his bed. Where's Samuel? They're ministering before the Lord, making sure that the candles don't go out. But he's laying more than likely on a cold floor there in the presence of the Lord. He has a desire, notice, to lay down at the temple of the Lord where the ark of the Lord was. He wants to be as close as he possibly can to the presence of the Lord. Now, he cannot, because he is not the high priest, to go through the veil, but he can camp out at the doorstep, the closest proximity they can get when when the Lord is going to speak. I want to reiterate that one more time. Just for our understanding, if you don't maintain an intimate, an intimate walk with the Lord on a day-to-day basis, in his word, on your knees, you're going to have a hard time listening to the voice of God. Distance from him matters. And the closer you can get to him, the more important it becomes and the more ability you will have to be able to hear and discern that is or that isn't God speaking into my life. We must relish intimacy. Number two, we must recognize God's voice when he speaks. We must recognize God's voice when he speaks. And that's a problem with a lot of people. They don't understand how to discern whether God is speaking or whether he is not speaking. But if you're close to the Lord, you will know when he's speaking and when he's not. Notice verse four. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, lie down again. And so he went and laid down. Number one, God called him. He mistook the word or the call of the Lord for Eli, and he ran to Eli, and Eli said, It wasn't me. Call number two, verse six, and the Lord called again. Samuel and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. First time he laid down on his own initiative, now Eli is telling him to go back and lay down. Quit bothering me. I'm trying to get some sleep. How many understand that? 
when their children continue to hound them in the middle of the night and you're trying to sleep. Moshe 7 gives us a reason why after two calls, he was not able to discern the voice of the Lord. It says in verse 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He knew the Lord in the scriptures, but he did not know the Lord personally. God himself had not revealed himself yet to Samuel. Unless God reveals himself to us, we cannot know God. God is the one who takes the initiative. And God had not yet initiated until this moment to reveal himself to young Samuel. And this is that opportunity. This is that moment. But Samuel, because of the, the inability and, and, and the lack of relationship, did not understand when God called that it was the Lord. Notice number, try number three, verse eight. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli, notice, notice the passage, Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Samuel did not recognize God's voice, but Eli recognized that it was the Lord that was speaking to Samuel. It is important. It is imperative. It is more than necessary for us to understand and to recognize that when God is speaking, it is God who is speaking. Because if we somehow hear something that God hasn't spoken and we act on that, disastrous things result because of it. To develop and a listening ear and to recognize when he is speaking and when he is not. And let's, let's go ahead and admit the fact that there are a lot of voices that are competing in our ears today, are there not? We all have competing voices with the, the voice of the Lord, the television, friends, family, neighbors, the world. And as these voices began to compete one with the other, how do we then recognize which one is the Lord and which one is maybe even our own voice rather than the Lord's? And we must understand with incredible clarity that when God speaks, he has spoken because we recognize his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep. Because they have a personal, intimate relationship with me, they hear when I speak. I had somebody one time say, well, I've never heard the Lord speak. And, you know, I was sad for them. Now, again, I've already said I haven't heard the audible voice of God, but I have, God, I have heard God speak many, many times. And I hope you have too. But we must recognize when it's God and we must recognize when it's not God because these competing voices would want us to be so confused and, 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 and fail to use the spirit of discernment as to know when he is speaking and when he is not speaking. Recognize God's voice when he speaks and recognize when it's not God's voice and don't take action until you recognize it is the Lord. Number three, we need to retreat privately. I think one of the main reasons why many people fail to hear or don't hear God at all is because they're not taking the time to retreat to those private moments where they can hear God. Notice in verse 9, therefore Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. In other words, go back to your place of solitude. Go back to where it is silent. Go back to where you first heard the Lord. Anybody have those favorite places that you like to go where you can just hear the Lord? I'm going to tell you a secret that I've had for 10 and a half years. You know where that place is for me? You'll never guess. Where? Where? Church, but where in the church? You've been following me, haven't you? Right here. 
I've sat many hours right here in the dark. It's kind of embarrassing, though, when somebody comes in and I'm caught in here. <laughs> you know, they've never asked me, Pastor, what are you doing sitting in the dark? But I've sat right here hours upon hours in ten and a half years seeking God. This spot right here. Uh, you don't know this about a pastor, but the, the, the best place in a pastor's life when he's fulfilling what God has called him to do is right here. If I could live right here, I would live right here. I, I can. You only give me about 45 minutes a Sunday. I would live here. But the reality is you've got to come down from the mountaintop from time to time. And so you've got to have times of, of private retreat, times of solitude, times of quietness, even times when you're in the dark to keep distractions from coming into your life and preventing you from understanding clearly what God has called you to do. So he says, go lay down. I think it's interesting, Samuel says, and if he calls you. Why do you think he used if? You know, Samuel didn't understand, but I think Eli did. You know, son, I've heard the Lord many, many times, but he stopped speaking to me. And I hope he doesn't stop speaking to you because he's called you three times and you've not responded. I wonder how many times the Lord has knocked on the door of Eli's heart, spoken into his life, and he's disregarded what God has said. And God stopped speaking. So son, go back, and if he speaks to you, this is what you need to say. It's great advice. Again, he's counseling wisely, this young man, because he knows the importance of what God is doing in this man, young man's life and the potential message that God may have for God's people. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. The first response is to speak. In other words, he is, he is indicating to young Samuel, cultivate a desire to hear the voice of the Lord. Have a desire, a passion, a willingness, an openness. Lord, speak into my life. I think one of the main reasons why many people today are not hearing God is because they do not want God to speak into their life because they are aware that when God does, change is about to take place. A challenge is about to be brought forth. A sin is about to be revealed. And so as a result of that, they're just not simply open to the voice of the Lord because they don't want those things to happen in their lives. And they're just, they're walking around like this and they got their fingers in their ears. And they're not listening because they don't want to hear the Lord. So our, our first step is a desire. Lord, speak into my life. Notice he said, your servant. In other words, he is submitting to the will and to the word of the Lord even before he hears it. He's not coming with an agenda. He's not coming with a, a list. Speak into my life and I will follow you. I am your servant. You are not my servant. And I think many times we treat God as if he serves us rather than we serve him. We come to the place of worship and we expect to be served rather than to serve. We get on our knees and we pray and we expect God to to do what we want him to do rather than say, Lord, reveal to me what you desire and what you want. You fill my list in regard to the things that I will pray. 
And then he said, I'm listening. I'm open. I am, I am coming to you in private, hoping that you will speak to me. And what does he do? He went and lay down in his place. Do you have such a place? Do you have such a place? Where you and God, without distractions, alone, spend time on your knees, the Bible open, your ears are open, your heart is open, your mind is open to what God wants to reveal to you and speak into your life about his ways. If not, how can you follow him? And if those times are rare in your week, how do you follow him? I'll tell you how. You don't. You act in the flesh. You, you discern your own will by your own power and your own ways. And your life is void of the power of the Spirit of God and the blessings that God wants to bring into your life. We must, like Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening and go and lay in this silent place and say, Lord, I am not going to say a word to you until you speak to me. And most of us are so busy speaking to him that we don't have time to listen to him. Number five, four, we need to respond willingly once he reveals what he wants us to do. Number 10, verse 10 says, finally the Lord shows up. It says he came. This is incredible, though, and he stood. He stood. I don't know if you caught that or not, but all three times prior to this, now the fourth time, the Lord is standing there. He did not perceive that the Lord was present, and now he perceives that the Lord is present. He is standing there, and I wonder when he saw the Lord standing there what he thought. I wonder what he saw. I wonder what he felt to be in the presence of Yahweh, God. He's there in a silent solitude, silent moment, and the Lord is standing there. And he calls out at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, notice he says, speak, Lord, or speak, for your servant hears. Speak, for your servant hears. In other words, I am open to whatever it is so speak. Speak, I'm your servant, I am listening. I wonder how willing you are and how open you are to whatever it is God wants to bring into your life and speak into your life and to bring that transformation and that change that he deems necessary to make. Number five, we need to receive freely what God gives us. It's interesting, we see in verse 11 that, that he freely received it, he received it. He didn't reject it like Eli, he didn't resist it. He received it. Notice verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do thing, a thing in Israel at which the two, the two ears of everyone who hears will tingle. You know, God says to Samuel, I'm about to, I'm about to do something going to shock everybody's socks off, man. They're going to be shocked. It's going to blow their minds. It's going to flip their wigs. It's going to make them scratch their heads. And they're going to take a double take at it and go, what in the world? I never saw that coming. Notice then he says, on that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. 
Interesting that God has already spoken to Eli about what he's about to speak to Samuel. The reason why is he didn't didn't get a a, a receiving heart. He didn't get a receptive mind. He didn't didn't get someone in Eli who willingly received what what God gave him. He rejected and resisted and and rebelled against it. He did not take action upon what God said. He said, I've already revealed this to, to Eli. I'm about to reveal this to you. I've already given this once. I don't know about you in your house, but my mom would usually repeat things more than once to get us to do things. My dad rarely ever did. It was a one-time deal. And after that, the judgment came. And that's hard for an attention deficit young fellow who often is so busy when someone speaks that you don't get all of the, the, the direction from your father. But nonetheless... I was probably spanked far less than I deserved to be spanked. Is that fair? Some of you are saying he should have got spanked more, right? <clears throat> anyway, verse 13. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. The reason why uh, Eli didn't do anything about it was because of the sin of his sons and they were blaspheming the Lord and he refused to deal with his children you know sometimes it's hard to deal with your adult children isn't it now some of you are too young to have adult children it's hard to discipline your younger children and during the holiday season you know my grandchildren are so they're so good looking and so cute uh, grandpa says yes to everything Discipline is not in my vocabulary, nor my actions. But when you have adult children who are rebelling against God, and you speak into their life, how favorable have you been received? Eli didn't want to take action on what God had asked him to do. And as a result of that, therefore, notice God, he's, he's going to settle the score, because God doesn't tolerate disobedience. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. In other words, I'm expecting and demanding that he do what I ask him to do. And he has failed to do that, so discipline or judgment is about to come upon him. I've already mentioned the fact that Eli did not receive freely what God gave him. And sometimes we have a difficulty with that as well. And I've alluded to that from time to time, and primarily because we just don't want to receive what God is bringing into our lives and the change that he wants to bring. And I'll be honest with you, as I shared last Sunday, the change that God has brought into my life and to Patty's life in the last mm, six weeks has not been sometimes freely received. And there have been times when I have resisted what God wanted to bring in that change. And I have debated and discussed with God before because I don't feel like my job here has been done. There's things still left undone. And as I told a former pastor once who left here to go somewhere else, not everything will always be done. You'll always leave a church with things that are undone, things that could have been done or should have been done or needed to be done. And I've done this so many times before, not so many, I've done it probably five or six times in 40 years of ministry, so I understand the dynamic of leaving a church. But as I shared with, it last, with you last week, this has been the most difficult of the transitions. 
And so I have learned that God has permission at any time to change my life and my agenda as he does yours and as he does this church's. Because if I and you and we as a church belong to him, we must be willing and open to freely receive whatever change God wants to bring because we believe that he who is Lord is who we follow. Number six, we need to resist fear. Often when God speaks and we recognize and realize the, the complexity or the difficulty or the hardship or the challenge that it brings, the first thing that sort of arises is this feeling called fear. And if anyone in here says they have never been afraid, then I would say you're more than likely not telling the truth. Notice what happens to young Samuel in verse 15. Samuel lay until morning. What is that to you? I don't know how you see that, but I see that as delay. Delay. And you and I know that delay is our enemy to obedience. Because moments become hours and hours become days and days become weeks and weeks become years and years become decades. Delay is the enemy of obedience. So he's delaying. Laid there till morning. So, well, how can you say that? That's not fair. You know, the other, th the other three times when he heard the Lord call, what did he do? He didn't mind waking up Eli then, did he? So why, why was he afraid? Why, why did he delay now? It was a heavy assignment. He knew that Eli would not more than likely take it well. And so Samuel lay until morning, and he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Not only to delay, but this duty thing was something that he used as a delay tactic. And most women will tell you when something is on their minds and they're troubled about something, what do you do, ladies, to stop thinking about that something? Come on, ladies, what do you do? You get busy, right? You get busy. And that helps you not think about it. Now, in Samuel's defense, this was his responsibility his duty and his service as ministry unto the Lord. But I've learned that sometimes even good things as you are ministering unto the Lord, if they are in the process of that ministry, actually allowing you not to go where God says go and to minister as God says minister is really disobedience. And sometimes we rationalize this whole concept of, of following what we understand to be the will of God because, oh, Lord, I'm doing something really good here. I'm serving you. And he said, wait a minute, you need to serve me over here. <laughs> oh, Lord, I, I want to serve you over here. No, you need to serve me over here. But watch out for the temptation of the good over the greater act of obedience. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision of Eli. That's the reason why he did what he did. He was filled with fear. We must not, when the Lord speaks, allow the challenge or the giant or the obstacle or the trouble or the difficulty or the change or the sacrifice or the cost of that obedience become a factor in whether or not we obey God or not. You know, there, there's a passage in the Old Testament, and it just suddenly came to my mind. I can't think of the reference, but there was someone in the Bible, and I think it was, I think it was David said it, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. 
Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. When someone comes to that place and point in their life, that even though serving the Lord brings death to my life, I will serve him. I will be obedient to him, though he slay me. We must resist the fear that the enemy and sometimes self pulls on our heartstrings and causes us not to step forward in doing what God has called us to do. And lastly, we need to reflect obedience. To reflect obedience. Look what Samuel did in spite of his fear. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. Who's taking the initiative here? Eli. Eli's taking the initiative. Now, let's defend Samuel a little bit. He could have said, yeah, I'm busy. I'll be there in a minute. But you don't respond to the high priest that way. But it's interesting that Eli takes the initiative. Verse 17. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? In other words, God spoke to you, right? What did he say? Do not hide it from me. Reveal it to me. May God do to you as more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Eli, in all fairness to him and all of his disobedience, is still a good teacher and is teaching young Samuel, son, if you don't do what God's told you to do, you'll end up like me. Notice verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. You know, sometimes when we have a tendency to go ahead and maybe do what God has told us to do, we do partially what he said. No, no, obedience, partial obedience is disobedience. Let me say that again. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It's all the way or it's not at all. And he told him everything and hid nothing from him. This was a defining moment, a crisis of belief in Samuel's heart and his life. And he stepped forward, trusted God, and he spoke what God told him to speak. And notice Eli said, Eli is smart enough to know it is the Lord. How did he know that? Because Yahweh had already spoken these words to him. And I'm sure he didn't share them with young Samuel. And Samuel confirmed that what he heard was Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. That's an interesting response, isn't it? Let him do what seems good to him. It's sort of almost words from a man that I believe sort of knows that he can't, he can't struggle anymore. You know, I, I think sometimes part of the problem we have with, with listening and obeying is because sometimes we somehow think that we can manipulate and maneuver God away from what he desires and, and he's determined to do. We can negotiate with him. We can change his mind. We can somehow navigate God away from what God has defined and determined that he wants to do. The reality is we can't. I found this interesting illustration. Uh, the, the transcript that actually took place of about a radio conversation of a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities of the co off the coast of Newfound Newfoundland in October of 1995. The radio conversation released by the Chief of Naval Operations 101095. Here's, what, here's how the, the, uh, 
the radio conversation went. The Canadians. I have two Canadian grandchildren and one beautiful Canadian daughter-in-law, so this kind of pains me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Canadians, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Americans, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north and avoid a collision. Canadians, negative. You will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no. I say again, you divert your course. Americans, sounds much like an American, listen to this. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and a numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that is one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians. This is a lighthouse. Your call. God doesn't move. God doesn't change. It's we who move and it's we who change. When God speaks, we act accordingly. There is no other option for us than to say, yes, Lord, I am your servant, speak, and I will do what you ask. Are you listening to the still small voice of God in your life today? And if so, what is he speaking to you? When God speaks and when God calls, what will you say and how will you respond? Will you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? I hope and pray that would be our desire, everyone in here, be willing to do whatever we can do to make sure that we hear God's voice unmistakably so that we can avoid any uncertainty that as we move forward, it is he who is leading, not us. Let's pray.